In today's real estate market, with prices not just going up so easily anymore, operations are actually going to matter. We're going to do a deep dive today in property management. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. With me today is Roger Daniel, president at Daniel Management Group. Uh, excited to have him on the podcast today. He runs a multifamily property management company here into here in Chicagoland and also up until Milwaukee in the Wisconsin area. So welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, been yeah, looking forward to having you on. I think we, you know, uh, maybe a, a year or two ago, we switched management on a handful of properties uh, to you guys. I've been happy with how you've been running them. Um, so appreciate that. And one, of course, pick your brain today. So, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, well, nice. Well, yeah, I think probably just first of all, I guess maybe let's just start from the beginning. How did you get to where you're at today in, in property management? Well, really started uh, in medical school where I, I dropped out, which, you know, is never yeah. something you want to tell your parents they're about to do. But uh, that, that's how I started. And I had a mentor who was a family friend in Chicago and told me to start leasing apartments. And I didn't really know any better. I didn't really know anything else. And that's sort of just how I started and for the Habitat company. And I sort of weaved my way back and forth in between property management and finance, which looking back was a pretty unique set of skill sets to gain. Uh, I wasn't making a ton of money doing that, but I think it really gave me the perspective that serves, you know, Daniel management well today. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I had no idea you were, went to medical school. Medical College so, of Wisconsin. Okay, nice. Is that... Um are you from the Milwaukee area then, or where? Yeah, I grew up in Milwaukee. Went went to University of Wisconsin uh, with you, I know. Yeah, and um, yeah, I applied early decision. Was super set and excited. I come from a family of physicians, so everyone was really happy. And it just, <laughs> I quickly learned it just wasn't the right fit. And uh, I actually do have family in real estate too, uh, but I, I thought I was always just going to be a doctor and and you know take it from there. But but. Life yeah, had a different plan, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I know I kind of wanted to be uh, like a surgeon when I was in middle school. Just you go and you look on like the whatever it was, the computer program where they show you the incomes of people. And it was like they make the most. Uh, sounds great. Uh, like prestige. And then I went and I shadowed a surgery. Uh, this is in like eighth grade. And I I'd, I'd almost passed out. They were doing like a knee uh, scope, you know, so around this moving around on this big camera through the knee and stabbing into this lady's knee. And I was like, wow, this is not, uh, not going to be for me. Um, and I kind of started thinking about business after, after that yeah, more. So makes sense. I have been through a full cadaver, so yeah, uh, just don't quiz me, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But then, so then I guess, so Daniel management group, DMG, when did that start? Kind of what's going on there? So, you know, we sort of started raising friends and family money. It was actually with a purchase. And um, I had been in the business for a while, uh, at least 10 years, and always thought it may be an option to be sort of more entrepreneurial, go out on my own. And it started with the purchase of a building. I formed a management company when I purchased, and I was working full time. So I would, you know, work. And in the end, I was managing 3,000 units and doing all the acquisitions for a company while buying, you know, single or multifamily with, with friends and family around the city. And that was like, that was about 10 years ago, give or take. Yeah. We're celebrating Daniel management, celebrating our, our 10 years this year. So it was almost exactly 10 years ago, which is, which is hard to believe looking back. Um, it's gone by so fast, but yeah, it's been, it's been 10 years. So worked 10 years, uh, for different really institutional level management companies, Habitat, Village Green, to just learn the ropes of property management. I was able to get into finance and do some underwriting there. 
um, inst really institutional equity and debt underwriting. Uh, I was within a private equity company. And so I was able to really, in the end, marry those two uh, to acquire and operate. Yeah, that's nice. And I think then that gave you, I mean, how do you think that helped like that sort of, uh, you know, expertise or experience at, at your job? How do you think that helped you? I mean, it was everything, you know, I think um, it, it, when you start from leasing and working your way up, I think that's really something that distinguishes us because a lot of people that own property management companies sort of fall into that. They're developers or acquiring and they're like, oh, some, I got to figure out how to run this stuff. And we are really management first. And I think leveraging that experience and that skill set in the operations and also really the finance, you know, what I know what owners are looking for, different groups are looking for, and we can tweak our operations to really maximize that. So it's been instrumental. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. Like I think, um, you know, I kind of, I'd say when I went out on my own, it was, it was similar to how, how you did it, where I was essentially working like, seemed like like three jobs at one point, yeah. but then, um, that made it very doable where, yeah, I was working a lot, but then you had built something up before quitting because at the point, how long were you uh, working for the management company and working on their acquisitions as well as buying your own deals? How long did that last? So I bought my first deal in 2013 and by 2016, I was out on my own. I think looking back, that feels quick, I guess. Um, I think I'd spent a long time getting the skills I really needed to acquire and operate. And that's where I focused all of my you know, attention. It wasn't to making money, it was really building skills and differentiating myself. And once I was able to do that, it sort of quickly followed from there. Yeah, that, no, I was, I was curious, cause I think one thing that I, I see people, they, when they're quitting their job and it's, they, they don't have anything built up or set up yet. And it always seems like such a hard transition where you might've worked for a developer now you're going to go develop your own deals and you have no, um, you have no, no pipeline or you have a pipeline, but it's just like potential deals. And I always see that. I'm like, this is like so difficult to pull off where I feel like I did it almost like the easy way from, and so did you from like a risk standpoint where you, you just already, but doing that three years on your own, you walked into already, you had a portfolio and buildings to manage and. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm one of the reasons I'm in property management is that I'm only so you know risky. I, I tend to be risk averse in, in just how I live and, and, the, and property management had a consistent paycheck and I could sort of grow this while working full time. And so that was part of the appeal. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, too, like uh, it seems like DMG has grown really fast. I mean, I probably say noticed you guys, I guess, probably like 2018, maybe. So it had been going for a couple of years. But you guys have grown really fast. I mean, why? Uh, how many units do you guys manage now? Would you say? Or so we're up to about twenty-two hundred units, and we've probably got another thousand in the pipeline. So it has been significant. I think you know we've produced is first and foremost uh, has led to that sort of kind of growth. And I think again, sort of thinking back to my experience, we're really able to operate property and maintain that service while being pretty efficient on the expense side and that's really marketing admin and payroll are really places where we find both economies of scale and i think just thinking outside the box to operate and i think you know we've got a culture where we're constantly looking for feedback and we also rely on technology a ton so those sort of i would say three things um, have really done a lot to set us apart and allowed us to grow quickly yeah, let's. So then, for where you guys are finding the cost savings, why don't you walk me through that? So one was marketing. How are you guys doing that? Yeah. So I mean, I think if you and I, I, I often compare myself to kind of a national platform who just uh, can find themselves spending just a ton of money on on traditional ILSs, uh, search engine marketing, social media marketing. You know, we we try to approach that not with an axe, but um, you know, with a, a fine, a fine needle, I guess. And so we know where to spend, how much to spend and are, and are looking for feedback and can tweak that. So I think staying, staying very kind of entrepreneurial and, um, you know, analytical and making pivots that way have helped reduce costs there. Yeah. What anything specific though, like where, like, what would you recommend somebody? Cause this would be a deal where it's larger. So maybe like more like a hundred units in or something. Cause we're, you're talking about like all this online marketing. 
I mean, what do you recommend? Where are you seeing like the returns coming from? I mean, what's what's nice about multifamily is a lot of the traditional ILSs, which may seem, I mean, apparent, and it is, you know, have spent a ton of money on their own, you know, marketing and branding and apartments.com, for example. I mean, it's a very good way to find an apartment still. It may seem basic, but um, it just happens to work. There's other Zillow's, Zumpers that uh, I think are, are, are relatively inexpensive and relatively impactful. You know, I think when you start getting into under sor- other sources like social media marketing, search engine marketing, it can get more expensive. It tends to be more labor intensive and you really have to weigh whether it makes sense to do. I would say, you know, maybe in a lease up, maybe in a new market where you may not have other, other property is a time to sort of pull those levers, but you can get a lot done in a market where you're established with good product from basic, just, you know, online advertising. Okay. Yeah. Cause we've been, I think from my experience, the things I'm getting the best returns on it's Zillow. Uh, and then having your property manager just manually post on Facebook marketplace. Like those would be my top two go-tos where, um, we use apartments.com on larger deals, but we're, I don't think we're getting anywhere close to as good of a return, uh, as Zillow on those. So it's very market specific. I mean, in Milwaukee, for example, we have a 500 unit property where Zillow is really helpful. So I think it depends where you are and you know, you have to explore that it's, it's not necessarily intuitive. You're, you're relying on an existing infrastructure and technology that's there and you have to pivot and find what works. And maybe it's seasonal. Uh, maybe it's, you've done something different at the property you really want to show off. And I think, you know, um, pulling all those levers, you know, matter. And so getting and striking that balance. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, um, but yeah, I think if where we're trying to put more money is behind Zillow cause we're getting results there. So going to a higher package on Zillow, less on apartments.com. Um, and in at least where all the billions I'm thinking of, they're in Phoenix and we, I mean, apartments.com is like two or three or four times as expensive as Zillow. It is, it is, it is expensive. And I think, you know, uh, in a case like yours, I'd start with Zillow and see if that works. Uh, start with a Facebook marketplace. If you're getting, yielding good results, you know, no, no need to add more expense. And that's the, that's the same approach we, we take is, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's, you know, let's say five or six basic levers to pull. And, um, and you can also, you know, beyond those sort of more traditional routes, more on the boot, you know, sort of boots on the ground that you're mentioning, you can do cross marketing, you know, with the local gym and things like that. And really maybe, um, you know, you can really leverage your presence there locally. Yeah. No, I know I was, um, actually my girlfriend has suggested this on one of our deals in, in Arizona where she was like, where do all the people that live here work? Let's go put up some flyers. Like, let's do it like that kind of stuff. I liked her idea a lot on that. And we're, um, you know, trying to roll that out. So, and referrals too, that's been a big source of that property, just existing residents. Yeah. And I think if you're providing already providing a good experience, maybe you've done the, the rehab work and the property's doing great. You know, the existing residence is a great place to start. We, I mean, we typically have a resident referral program and we'll, you know, bonus the residents when they refer somebody. Cause that is, you know, word of mouth. If you've got a friend that really likes their experience, you know, that weighs heavy on, on your decision. Yeah, for sure. And then where are you seeing, um, you said, so marketing was one, then admin, uh, what was the, the other one we're seeing? Uh, marketing admin and payroll. I mean, I think one thing we've really done is specialized in sort of a, a boutique high end space. And a lot of those are not very large footprints. It may be, a, you know, as small as 15 to 20 units. I'd say our, our strike zone is maybe 50 to 150 units where, you know, let's take a hundred unit, let's take a 150 unit building, you know, one person you need there probably two, you know, little, little less clear. We have a leasing arm, uh, DMG leasing, which helps supplement those efforts. For example, where we'll rely on agents that are under our, uh, license. And this is unique to a few cities like a Chicago, a Boston, New York, and they, they are paid a month's rent for their service. But if it means they're, you're keeping your, your office staff to one person instead of two may make sense. So that's kind of like a decision tree, a decision you're making as part of the operations. And I think we've, we've tried to strike that balance, provide the same service and outcome for a significantly less cost. 
Yeah, that yeah, I know what you're saying because I think kind of traditionally there's you know 100 units, it's one person in, one person right. out. So your manager who also leases, then your maintenance person, those are the one in, one out. But then um, yeah, you have all these tweener sizes. Then how would you run a 50 unit? You right. Know, and a lot of people would say, well, we still need one in, one out, and now your payroll's double per unit. Whereas at least in Chicago, what would be kind of normal here is you does have no one on site even, and then you would, uh, you know, hire out the leasing and then the maintenance people are just coming as needed. That's exactly what we do. And so we have a 50 unit building in the Chicago suburbs. They wanted some presence there. It's very high end. And we do, we put somebody there two days a week because the, the resident base wants that touch and feel. And we, we, you know, adapted to that. We could have had them there. We could have not. We could have run that building without anybody in the office at all. Um, but we added somebody. And they are also supplemented by outside leasing, uh, DMG leasing staff. And then we have a maintenance person there. It's new construction. You know, there's things that go wrong all the time. But, you know, when new construction, you have less of a burden. So th he's there uh, more like two days a week. And so, you know, that's a big savings yeah. on a 50-unit building like that. For sure. And, you know... If you if you can take a guy like that and spread him over, let's say three, four, five buildings nearby, you can actually pay him more. You end up with a higher quality staff. They're doing only what needs to be done, so they're not wasting, you yeah. know, anybody's time, and and you get a much more efficient outcome and reduced expenses. Yeah, no, that yeah, that makes sense, and that's I've seen that. You know, people have figured it out in these bigger cities like the ones you mentioned, but then in a lot of these other places, I've seen deals. It's like no, there'll be a 60 unit for sale and there's two people that work there. And it's like, this is expensive. So I'm, I'm sure that could be why in Milwaukee, let's say you're gaining market share because they're maybe we're still doing it that way and you're coming in with a new idea. And we also have a fair amount on our corporate staff that will do, for example, renewal leasing can be done from really anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, you take the, the administrative component and take that off of a manager's plate, for example. I mean, our average manager isn't leasing, they're focused on basically uh, resident retention, resident issues or building issues that need to be resolved. But a lot of the, for example, leasing and basic admin, they don't even touch. Um, you know, payables, when I started, you had a stack of bills, you had to go like, you know, stamp and yeah. code. Here, you know, we're, we're completely online there. They're just approving bills, making sure they're coded to the right place, but it's a much more efficient process. So you can get a manager on on significantly more units that way. Same with the maintenance, and so we essentially, you know, we become much more efficient that way, and we pass that that savings on to the owner. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, and that's I I see um, good results from that on how you're running your deals, and then all the ones that we self manage, we do the same thing. Like this building we're in now, it's 72 units, and there's not any on site staff. Um, we have someone who's cleaning the hallways nearly every day, you know, so we do it's I do feel like there's like still like a decent a presence pay, payroll burden and people here and then our office is here. So, um, uh, you know, people at the at the, the property, you, you start reflecting on technology because it's it's so prevalent everywhere, including multifamily, which for a long time was very sleepy. But, you know, we have software that for, for if you look on the maintenance side, the work order goes right to the tech. So he, he, um, he doesn't have to be sort of managed from that perspective. He does the, you know, the work orders for a specific property on that day. And unless there's an emergency, then comes back a couple of days later or the following week and everybody's happy. Yeah. And you guys are using Appfolio for yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And what, one thing that's interesting too, where I think, cause then I'll, I'll touch on this cause you guys are doing the, uh, maintenance payroll, we'll call it like the money for the maintenance requests you guys are do a flat fee per unit per month so mm -hmm. you just allocate the payroll um which i like because then it's more consistent for the owner and then what's interesting too is if you weren't doing it that way and you just let the tech go and close all the work orders on his own i mean he's paid you know maybe he's paid per uh you know like per per job and he's gonna like zigzag around and say oh this took me three hours to do this and then i went across town and changed a light bulb. So I need a hundred bucks for that. But instead this is like, you're basically getting like a salary and you need to complete all the work. So then that has that sort of helped with not have a bunch of like, just sort of nonsense with the maintenance Absolutely. guys. Our focus is on getting the work orders done. We monitor the work orders and make sure they're done timely. 
the resident through Appfolio's platform has a chance to rate the work order. So, so we get transparency into their experience and we don't have the admin trying to figure out who did what, when, you know, the work orders get done We're we know what's coming in. It's consistent for the owner. It's consistent for us. We know what, you know, what, um, our outlay is. And so I think everybody sort of wins there. Yeah. Cause just the billing burden is so huge in that where you have all these little, if you had all these little work orders to then allocate the time built all these different buildings and owners. I mean, there is a lot of, um, a lot of time on the billing side you guys cut out too. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know who really wins there exactly. It just seems like a big headache. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, I would just, some owners I'm sure would like that. Cause then there's like, I'm just paying for what I'm using. Let's say like, you're not, maybe you have a building, you think you're going to have less maintenance than, uh, whatever it would be if you were paying per unit, but you know, like you don't have, wouldn't have any sort of consistency. Like some months your maintenance could be zero others. It could be thousands. I would say typically we come out ahead here on a, on a larger building where you may have assumed needed a full-time person. We're usually a a fraction of that. Yeah. And on a small building, you know what you're getting up front and you've accepted that already before we even show up. Yeah. So I think most people are pretty happy with that setup. Yeah, we have been, I just, I like how it's just sort of consistent and you know what you're, you're getting and we haven't had any problems where it's like work's not getting done or something. So yeah, I think as long as you're holding everyone accountable, which we're set up to do, then then I think it's a good system. Yeah. What other tech are you guys using then? So we use um, Foxen is one we use to manage the renter's insurance uh, or landlord liability insurance. And that's traditionally been very hard to manage because people can instantly cancel their policy. And it's just a lot of admin work. So that's a, that's a company. It's a startup. They provide all that sort of labor. They have access to uh, our residents sort of through Appfolio and can manage that process. And it, um, it actually, there's a small spiff to the building by doing that. Um, they charge the resident $14 a month. Uh, the actual cost they take is 10. So the landlord theoretically gets $4 a month per unit there. And so that to me seemed like a win-win. Um, so that's a piece of technology. We've really leveraged a lot of Appfolio um, in terms of our, our daily process, all the applications, all of the leases, everything like that is electronic. We use a payable software, which I alluded to earlier. So all of our bills are, are paperless. What do you guys use for that? Okay. No. Yeah. I don't remember the name. Do you set it's, it up? It's, in it's, this it's strong room. Yeah. Strong room. It's, uh, and that integrates. And one thing that Appfolio and a lot of these companies have been doing, sort of like Apple, they've opened their API. They're letting a lot of different, uh, you know, of course they're managing the process, but you get a lot more technology interfacing. I think a lot of these platforms wanted to do it all. And what we're seeing is now they're sort of more open to letting other content creators come in and it really expands their capabilities as a platform. That's interesting. Yeah, and I, I Foxen, we've used that also on our self-managed stuff, and that works great where, yeah, to your point, normally you sign a lease. In the lease, it says, like, the tenant needs to have, uh, you know, renter's insurance, but it was really hard to get the property manager to ever collect it, and then, yeah, sure, then they could just cancel it, uh, the, the resident, I guess, and then you'd lose track of it, and then, um you know, a lot of, you have like a fire at the building or some sort of issue, a water event, and then they want, you know, the owner to pay. And you're like, no, that's for your, uh, you know, your renter's insurance needs to pick that up. Like that's, that's like a claim for that. And then, you know, like every time like, oh, I don't have any, I didn't do that kind of thing where Fox and they make you submit it. Um, like they're really, uh, like they do a good job of making sure you submit it. And then somehow they know if you cancel it because they're set up to be notified. Yeah, exactly. You know, these are the types of things where technology is really making the operations much more efficient. Yeah, no, I've liked that because even, yeah, let alone making five bucks or whatever, like it's more about like actually you have absolutely the tenants getting the insurance they're supposed to now. So um, have you guys been doing anything for uh, like application fraud or anything on that front? So that's gotten uh, it's sort of a trend, I would say, you know, it's gotten a lot easier to provide fraudulent documents. You know, one thing we moved toward was a tool Appfolio has, which basically verifies, it it requests access to your uh, bank account and sort of verifies deposits um, so that it can basically 
uh, line up what you're saying your income is to what uh, what regular deposits are into your account. I think where uh, we're we're looking for you know sort of continuing to look for solutions is where folks who look great on paper, and of course people who are fraudulent look great on paper. Yeah, because <laughs> they've they've made it work that way, and then are uncomfortable with you know, giving access to their account or, you know, they say yeah. they are. And then it's like, okay, well then, you know, we need to dive deeper. And usually there we're then asking or always there in that case, we're asking for multiple documentation of your income. And I think that's where you start running into people who are becoming more and more sophisticated in sort of tailoring those documents and um, where things like reviewing those documents with technology to make sure they're accurate is becoming more and more of a thing. And this, Interesting. you know, we're, this is where we're sort of heading. You know, I think if I, I did sort of a cursory look into this, and of course the banks have been dealing with this with, uh, yeah. f- with people for a while. And so there is a lot of technology out there that can help you here. And I think it's just sort of finding the right solution for you. Yeah, because I mean, what are the tools like? It's like an AI scanner kind of thing, or yeah. And I think some models charge you per unit per month, which can get very expensive. Yeah. And and the reality is, um, there's only a small percentage of people who say they're not comfortable with you know the this getting access to their their uh, online accounts. And so it's it's still a relatively small population of people, but with rents at two or three or $4,000 a month, yeah. it only takes one or two to really mess things up. Yeah. And so I think it's that last, you know, three to 5%, or not, not even that maybe, the last couple percent of people to really make sure you're letting the, the people who they say they are into your buildings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think I have, uh, you know, I've just, I've saw YouTube videos about how to, you know, make documents or how to get like a, I haven't watched the whole thing, I guess, cause I'm not doing this, but it's like where they, they teach you how you can get, you know, open credit cards this way or get apartments. And there's a whole, uh, you know, a whole almost industry popping up on how to get this fake document. So there's going to be a, a thing to fight it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a fair amount of motivation for someone to completely, you know, potentially remove their living costs for five or six months. Cause you know, in, in, in a city like Chicago, it takes a long time uh, to really act on somebody like this. And, um, so it's, it, it's, it's really, if you can do it well, I suppose if you're a criminal, it's a, it's a great way to save some money. Yeah. It's I, steal money, frankly. Yeah. Especially with how long it takes to evict. Cause I haven't heard a lot of talk about this in like these sunbelt markets we look in cause you can evict people in less than a month. So there's not as much of a reward, if you will, if you're going to sneak your way in and get kicked out in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. I mean, here it can take months and I think uh, the best criminals know that. Yeah, for sure. Then maybe switching gears a little bit. One thing I was going to ask at the start was I think probably so for property management, most people they're starting out like that. They it's maybe the most intimidating part of it because you know, like you're buying the property if you're an investor, you know, that you're doing with your banker, your attorney, your realtor, like that's all kind of like a little more comfortable. And now then when you start interacting with the, the, the tenants, like this is now you're just, it's someone you don't know. Uh, like you're like an authority of sorts and need to be setting out rules. I guess you have any, any thoughts on that? Like someone, if they're starting out, they're newer because you embrace property management right away. You said you bought your first deal and you started self-managing immediately. I guess, what are your, your thoughts on people or maybe they're buying their first deal and actually the part they're intimidated by is property management. I mean, it is intimidating. I waited till I had 10 years of experience, institutional level experience operating buildings before I was really bought my first building. And I'm not saying you have to do that, um, but it was the path I was on. And I, I, you know, worked with good companies and got good experience. And, you know, I think the key is uh, to, f- I, I mean, my personal bias is towards finding somebody in third party. But I mean, if you're asking me what should somebody do, I think it's you got to really learn the local laws because, I mean, take a city like Chicago, the RLTO, um, you know, navigating that takes a lot of experience and just a lot of good judgment. So I think you have to learn that. I think it's you have to know it's a service business. I mean, in the end of the day, the, the tenant, the resident needs to be the North Star in terms of how you operate because providing that service is what makes or breaks. So, you know, I think if you can keep 
your you know sort of eye on the resident, making sure their experience is a good one, and not getting into trouble kind of with the law is a good place to yeah. start. No, that makes sense. And then why would you? Or I guess actually, like I think starting out, if somebody can and they have like the, I don't know, the the mentality to do it. Like I think starting out managing your own properties is really important. I think where you're going to get this experience as an active investor, really seeing what the property manager does, what's all this entails. Like it's easy to buy a deal and say, oh, I think repairs will be this and this will it'll take a, this long to rent an apartment. But when you're actually doing that stuff, making the calls, like you just you learn so much about how it all works. Um, so if somebody can, I always think that that uh, is the way to go. But what's funny, I've mentioned that to other people who are in your situation, let's say, and they'll go, yeah, but those people end up hiring me and they're like leaving a ton of money on the table. They uh, didn't have the mentality to manage it. So then because you were starting to say you lean towards this people third party in. Um, besides having a company that does that, like what, <laughs> maybe bias. Yeah. <laughs> what would be the reason someone would do that then? So I think part of the reason a lot of people don't go the property management route is it's expensive. It's, it's expensive to run, you know, there's a ton of payroll. Um, so I think you get, you, you avoid that by hiring somebody. And I think you get some good economies of scale that you wouldn't otherwise get just on your own. And I think it, it, if you, you know, it can be time consuming, especially if you don't have a, an existing infrastructure. So if you can have a sort of a trusted, you know, partner, uh, strategic partner, which is what we try to be, it allows you to focus on the things you're doing, finding deals, raising money, uh, relationships with lenders, relationships with capital. Your time is your most valuable asset. And so there's opportunity cost to taking all of this on yourself when if you have, you know, a trusted partner, uh, you can have them do that, let you focus on the things you do, and then let them handle those details. Yeah, it's also really scalable, you know, where if you're buying a deal, then you don't, if you hire out the management, you don't need to be worried about, oh, I need to hire another property manager, or maintenance person, or do all this other stuff to run it. Like you're just focusing on executing like the closing and then the business plan. Right, because what happens when you have a, a as you get larger and have a larger property management company, a lot of it comes you know, it comes down to sort of managing the people, making yeah. sure they're on career tracks. I mean, there's a whole nother level. It's one thing to manage a couple buildings, you know, and have one person assigned to that task and great, you know, it's possible for sure. But like, you know, if you're really growing and, you know, you need to start sort of slicing and dicing people and where they go and what, what their scope is, you know, adding marketing, adding HR, adding PR. I mean, there's, you know, we offer a whole plethora uh, of services that if if you're really that we can offer to a, a person you know on a let's say a 50 unit building which if they were just there on their own they have none of that right um you know construction management um public relations uh interior design marketing you know all advertising the leasing i mean there's just so many different components to really doing this right that it's hard uh, without, in my opinion, bringing in someone that's got the, that experience and those economies of scale built in. Yeah, because for all those things, you would know who to call like to do that. We need PR or we need an interior designer. All that. And they're you know, trusted vendors. Some of it's in-house. Some of it we, we partner with trusted vendors on. And, you know, it takes all that takes time. It takes coordination. You know, this is all time you can spend yeah. doing more deals. And I think that's where, you know, someone who's really trying to scale, if they can find the right person, you know, the right company and group to work with, they end up doing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know something that we had talked about before was really like about, you know, the property management quality, you know, really matters and can, can drive the income of the property, the investment returns. I mean, you want to speak to that a little? Yeah. And, you know, I'm a little biased here too, though. But I mean, the reason I got into property management was because, you know, I wanted to control the outcome I was looking for. So I think, you know, at its best, there's, of course, uh, driving rents, finding ancillary sources of income, cutting expenses. But I think a, 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 the best property managers also have a, a five-year plan for the capital expenditures. So you know, you, you, nothing is a surprise. I think they're positioning the building just from a kind of a, a look and feel. You know, branding, color schemes, interior design. You know, today there's a lot of people are renting today yeah. and a lot of people who can, they're renters by choice. These are people that in the past probably owned already 
And, you know, they don't just want a hole in the wall where they can go to sleep. They want a whole experience. And um, I think if you can really deliver there, you know, keeping service top of mind and then handling kind of the operational piece, um, you know, you're in a good spot. Yeah, I think operations and just sort of having like a the uh, a well-executed deal, like just from all aspects, I mean, is really important now. I mean, in the, you know, I don't know, 2015 to last year, just everything was going up so easily as, you know, or even before that, you know. Um, it's funny I say that because I thought the market was kind of topping out in 2015. I was like, this is really, <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. And I didn't buy anything in 2016. Yeah. And then like one deal, uh, and then a couple of 1031s in 2017, I thought the market was, that was it. it was Same pe- here. Peaks in. Um, so this uh, five years later, it finally happened. But um, the, you know, so, but it's, you know, now in a world where things are growing slower, let's say, um, you know, with values, because it's so many headwinds from costs and higher interest rates and everything. Like actually operations is like really matters right now. It does. I mean, our slogan is management matters. And I've always thought that. There are some silver linings to the current situation for, you know, apartment owners, I would say. Of course, it's tougher to buy now if you're if you're a home buyer, uh, your dollar doesn't go as far. Interest rates are higher. There's actually, you know, in nice areas, a lack of product, you know, and the sort of least expensive homes are being bought up by private equity. So, you know, if you're going to buy a home, it, it tends to be more expensive. And so I think you know, there's a lot of people still renting, even, you know, six figure incomes, even families with two six figure incomes are still (laughs) renting because the the sheen of homeownership has sort of gone away. And the the product, the multifamily product has gotten so good that it you can sort of it tailors to their needs. So they get a lot of benefit from renting still. Yeah. And especially in the markets that like you cover, you know, there hasn't the home price appreciation hasn't been that appealing you know since the gfc so you've you have all these people that have saw homes they've, they've still gone up you know for the most part but not not dramatically and not enough to offset like if you're going to be in a place for just a few years and then you have all the transaction costs to buy and sell right you're not you're not going to make any money buying a condo in chicago or milwaukee if you're just going to own it for two or three years so where in the kind of that you know the old days like it people prices were going up enough for that or they weren't moving around every two or three years. You know, at least my parents, I mean, they had, they've had like three houses their entire adulthood. I mean, one they had for a couple of years, then the next one they had for just under 30. And then they've been in this last one for, I don't know, 15 now, you know? So like they've just, uh, you know, if in those kind of timelines, yeah, sure. They're going to make a lot, they make plenty of money on those houses. But, um, yeah, I've seen that with all my friends and everybody where homeownership's not all that it's like, cracked up to be right now. You know, and I also think as a, if you're, if you currently own a multifamily, you know, there's kind of a supply constraint on new construction for the same reasons home, home buyers are struggling. So I think we're actually, you know, from an operational perspective, rents look just fine. I mean, the, the challenges we're seeing are almost exclusively capital markets so far. And that, that of course is always subject to change. And, um, you've got some, some challenges on the expense side too, but so far, you know, rents have held up. The income side's really been solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chicago had a great year last year for rents. Uh, I mean, we're doing this in early 2023. How are rents uh, looking this year compared to last year for stuff you guys have had to rent? You know, it's still early in the leasing season and Chicago's very, and, and, and Milwaukee too, are very cyclical. I think for They're a lot seasonal, of reasons. You mean? Yeah. Very seasonal in their, in their, um, cycle. And so it's always a little bit of a wait and see. But so far, we've been getting increases in places that, you know, are actually a little sleepier in, in Chicago. You know, the Rogers Parks of the, of the world. We're actually seeing increases there where we haven't been really pushing rents uh, in COVID, you know, since really COVID. Um, so it feels it feels I, I, I'm pretty, you know, quite bullish on, on the rental side. Yeah. Do so you, far. Yeah. And do you think with this year? From what you saw, or is it too early to tell? Would rents be higher in 2023 than, let's say, like the peak last year, which I'd say is May, June? You know, where it's almost like you could charge anything last May. Uh, and then as the summer went on, I think from July 4th after, it was like it was definitely slower and a little in rents were down from the ultimate peak uh, earlier in the year. 
I mean, what I would say is with an asterisk, you know, the, the consumer has held up so far through this. And I think if they're if they continue to do that, I, I think rents will continue to go up for, for a bunch of reasons. You've and some of which I've mentioned uh, supply constraints, both on the apartment side and on the home buying side. And I think just the convenience and, and all the benefits that come with renting. OK, the, but then do you think that is that higher or lower than last May from the rents, would you say? I, f- I mean, if you had me, if you told me to guess, I would say it would be higher. That's interesting because I was uh, this winter, I was saying lower. Like it's we t- kind of tailed off like it's still except for May, like like in August, it was still up a ton, like 10 percent probably. But it was up 15 percent, let's say, in May and June and a couple units that we would normally get like thirty three hundred for. We rented for thirty eight hundred. Um you know, so we were just knocking it out of the park. And but then by the end of summer, it was like those same ones are getting thirty five hundred. That always happens at the end. Like that's because it was, I think. Oh, but even in, in July, not saying okay, in September it. where. Yeah. And we got stuck with one for October and that rented for three grand in the got same it. building. Okay. No, it was more just there was a, it seemed like at least in our portfolio, like a let's call it May 1st to July 4th is you could almost charge anything. And then. Prices were coming down. I mean, still way up from the year prior in any year prior, yeah. but not as much as a couple of months before. So I kind of feel like we kind of closed out the season slow, you know, like some of these like stock traders like, oh, we had like a week closing, like tomorrow's going to be a rough opening kind of thing. That's how I kind of felt like the rental market would be here where we, we didn't we came out really hot and then kind of slowed down some. But I don't know. I mean, uh, the consumer. They're still spending. The job market's still really strong. There's not a lot of supply except in like one neighborhood basically here in the West Loop. Yeah. And then, um, you know, so, yeah, I think we're off from what I've heard from other owners who have like a ton of properties that then they're renting just every month that this this year's off to a really good start. Yeah. And I mean, I think the the counterbalance is is inflation and how much that's actually going to eat into rents, you know, and that's that's TBD. And so far. I think, especially with, I would say, newer product, higher end product, that renter has been impacted less. And I think the question is, you know, what does that look like? Because, you know, in, inflation is real. It impacts everybody. And uh, I mean, we're, we're experiencing real inflation. So uh, I, I said an asterisk because I don't know how everyone's going to be impacted as this continues to go. I mean, um, you know, it's 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 been prevalent. And we'll just have to see where that pans out. So it's for me, it's a little TBD. But it, so far, you know, sitting where I am today, it feels strong still. Yeah, and it's interesting that you're getting those. Uh, you're seeing like strength in, let's say, Rogers Park, because that would be a neighborhood where you'd think like inflation would be really hitting that renter. Yeah. Where that's not a high income area, you know, gas prices, you know, all these things would have the price of food, like it would really be hitting their pocketbook. I was surprised that we were. I, I agree with you. I was surprised. I think you know. We have nice product for that. The stuff we're managing uh, is nice for that area, and maybe it's a bit of a flight to quality there. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, other thing that I kind of was wondering, and now this is sort of the at least second year where yeah, second year where people are talking about inflation a lot. And like, at what point now, like, would the renter or the tenant be just sort of open, like, oh, I only got a five percent rent right. increase, which in the past would have blown you away. But now if with your eggs went up 30% and everything else is running at six to 8%, you know, does 5% feel like you got off easy? You know, like, good question. I I think, um, yeah, I is like, is like this inflation mindset endemic. And, and I, I think they're saying like the true so far, what I've read is like the true inflation is not yet endemic, but, uh, you know, I think if you're, if you're used to seeing to your point, everything around you go up, you know, there's more of a, I think you know, the, the, the groundwork's been laid a little bit more in your mind for rent increases, whereas during COVID, it was like, no, you know, no rent increases because everyone's, you know, for every reason. Yeah, hurting, yeah. Yeah, hurting. So. Yeah, so no, that I totally, um, yeah, I understand. And I was talking to uh, just whoever, whoever, whatever building is, sends it our renewals. I was like, you should say the percentage this year. In the past, you'd just be like, oh, it's a $50 increase. Like, say the percent. If it's less than, I don't know six it's gonna it might feel low to them because everything else has been more yeah and um so i was even wondering that like is that sort of the pitch if you will in years like that year that Rahm Emanuel uh raised the property taxes 500 million dollars 
Um, and they had a lot of articles about that, which interesting side note was also a reassessment year in the downtown area. So the tax rate dropped. Uh, so just, they didn't even, I don't even know why they need to make such a big to do about it because they raised the taxes 500 million, but your tax rate still went down because it was a reassessment year. Anyways, we sent that article to some, to tenants when they would say what happened with our, um, why is the rent going up so much? And it was like, taxes are jumping. Like yeah. we had some sort of data where now like, I think people would almost would kind of know like this is uh, an inflationary environment. Everything that we're buying for the property costs more insurance. I mean, most of our insurance renewals been up eight to 16 yeah. percent and that's getting off light compared to, you know, what it's been going on in other states. So I think you've had you had not that much growth, rent growth during COVID. So part of this could just be a response to, yeah, you know, several up. years of 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 no rent growth. Um so that's what it felt like last spring where it was like, now everybody's coming out again. Like this has been basically two years of demand hitting in like one month, you know, yeah. in May basically and with then, inflationary pressure, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see what happens there. Well, nice. Well, yeah, I think then, um, uh, one thing maybe then to talk about with Chicago was we talked about the seasonality of the leasing season. Why don't you walk us through how that works? Cause I think if you're like a new buyer in Chicago, this is like critical to know and in any market figuring out where's the seasonality. Cause in, let's say in Phoenix, it's different months that are actually like the sweet spot for renting. And that has to do with like when it's the warmest and school and stuff, but like we're there, I'd say January to May is actually the prime season. Um, so you don't sweat through your clothes while you're moving in July. You still, yeah. Well, you still will in uh, in <laughs> April and May there, but like, yeah, exactly. And then by September, school starting and the holidays. So then it's, uh, but in Chicago, it's a different window. So walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, I think traditionally the strongest sort of window for uh, leasing and renewing is that sort of April to August, September. I think that that window's been narrowing a little bit uh, to more like. April to August, April to July. Um, I think you start getting increased demand really starting with the new year and then maybe after the Super Bowl and all the way up, uh, it increases from there. But I think the true core is is really like, a, I would say, an April to July. And I think, you know, as a result, we, we have our leases expiring those months because, of course, it's easier to re-rent if somebody decides to leave. You have more leverage as a landlord. So uh, that's, I, I suppose, food for thought for a local yeah. sort of operator. Yeah. And I think the peak months, I, like I do think it's narrowing. And to me, the the best months to have your leases start June 1st, July 1st, August 1st, top three. Is that what you think? Or you you were saying kind of almost even maybe a I mean, month I earlier? think of it as an end date because okay. that's when I need to re-rent. <clears throat> yeah. So, so May 31st, yeah. June 30th. July, July 31st. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah. I think that's right. Okay. Cause that's, I've always been shooting for that. And then if I have to pick another month, let's say like you have some, those months are already loaded up. I always am picking earlier. Me too. To, yeah. Because if you, uh, miss on those later months, correct, there's a big drop off starting like labor day. So if you want to miss, like, you know, have something roll in April, then you have all of May and June to ask a high rent. If you really want to shoot for the stars and then just but get it rented in July because come, uh, you know, those September 1st move-ins, like rents are already tapering. Yeah. In October 1st, then there's a big drop and yes. on big units, it, it, like especially it could be like 10% different. So it's a big difference. You're sounding like a really experienced operator. So yeah, I've been here <laughs> for 10 years. So, um, but yeah, which I was surprised by that because, um, you know, there's seasonality in these places, but it's not a 10% drop. You know, it's more like, there's very little of a drop. It's more just the velocity, but you're still able to get the price. It's just, there's just less people looking. It's a little more slow. Um, if you want to call a place where all these people are moving like slow, so it's not slow, but it's like, um, just not as hot. And then they, uh, you know, whereas for here, I mean, people looking in like October and November and December, it's, it's slow. It's slow. Yeah. Cause it's the weather's bad and the holidays are starting. So, well, cool. Why don't we close out with, let's say, uh, people want to get a third party property management company. They don't know where to start really. Where would somebody look for a company like this? How would they even find one? You know, I think it tends to be sort of a referral business. So I think, you know, asking maybe friends where they have had a good experience. Uh, of course, if you're local to Chicago, you know, feel free to reach out to us. 
Um, but it, it tends to be it tends to be relationship driven. I think the nice thing too about sort of there's there's a certain amount of transparency to the process because you can go to a building that's being managed by that company and see how it's operating. Uh, you know, tour it. So, yeah. th so that's another way to kind of get a feel for things. Um, Cause yeah, that's how I've, I mean, I've asked the brokers and lenders and not the brokers to like, they're, you know, they might, they might not own any properties or they have them managed. So you got to really ask the right questions with the brokers. Like what are the owners saying or how, have, how have the buildings looked when you've gone there to your point where, you know, you can usually tell how buildings being ran. If it's when it's like for sale, when you go tour it, how does this thing How's it operating? What does the inside look like? Um, you know, some, you know, usually you can tell by that, but also sometimes these things like they're driven by the owner, you know, if they say, don't, you know, let's cut the hallway cleaning down to two days from three days or something like most all companies are going to go along with that. So too, there's like a delicate balance, I guess, on what you're looking at sometimes. Google is a double edged sword, but I mean, I think Google reviews do say something. Uh, I would certainly take all of it with a grain of salt, but, uh, that is some, there is some level of transparency there. And so, you know, I think if, if there's maybe one or two people saying things that aren't great, okay. But if everybody's saying things yeah. that aren't great, I think that probably matters. Yeah. Right. There's management companies where you see their Google reviews and it's like hundreds of bad ones where it's to the point yeah. where you're like, why almost you guys are going to need to do a rebrand. Like what's, why would you not, uh, shut this brand down? But that's just, you know, then, you know, like, oh, this is going to be a bad company to deal with so and look you know I again I would take it with a little bit of a grain of salt but you know I think if if you're really uh, not doing a good job it's gonna show up there and um, there are companies with good reviews and good ratings yeah well nice like you guys so let's how do people get in touch with uh, with you they want to learn more they want to you know use you for management or how do we get in touch so our website's danielmanagement.com and we're also on social media. You can find me and Daniel Management on LinkedIn. Uh, we've got an Instagram handle, uh, Management Matters, and we're on Facebook too. Perfect. Well, great. Yeah, thanks for being on. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. It was great. Awesome. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.